Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Well, when I think of the message today, I was, I was listening to my message. It's kind of how I internalize what I'm going to share with you all on Sundays when I'm at the gym. And I was at the gym and I was thinking how we're conditioned to think that uh, if we work hard, then it's going to often net the results that we want. I'm, I'm, I'm there, I'm lifting weights, thinking, okay, more reps equals more muscle. Uh, more time studying helps us get the degree. More hours might help us get the commission or the promotion, the bonus. Whatever it is in life, we're kind of conditioned to think that if we apply more effort, we're going to get the results we're after. I mean, I've experienced it. It was hard work that helped me get into college. It was hard work at a camp during the summer in college that helped me pay for college. Hard work, even these days, uh, helps home to be better, right? Happy wife, happy life. Am I right? That's how it goes. Hard work helps net the results that we want. Now, with this being the case, we assume that if we do good, we're going to get to God. We're going to go to heaven one day. So what we do is we make this mistake of trying really, really hard. You know, doing more good than bad. Attending church. Obeying the Ten Commandments, or at least the ones we can remember. We try really hard to do all these good things, these religious things, but even the best of us on our best days fall short. We'll twist the truth to get the sale. We'll come to church just when it's convenient. None of us have probably murdered anyone recently, but maybe our gaze lingered longer than it should on that girl at the gym. We all fall short. Now, in case you aren't offended yet, I want to remind you of what Paul has taught us thus far in Romans 1 and 2. We aren't righteous. We're we're unrighteous. We're self-righteous. We're sinners. We aren't good enough for God. But as we flip to Romans 3 today, the news flips from bad news to good news. And it's this good news that I can't wait to share with you, especially after a week of bad news like last week. Now, if you've got a Bible, it could be a physical, digital copy, would you open with me to Romans chapter 3? And you can see for yourself this good news that we're talking about. If you need a Bible, we have free Bibles in the back. You can grab one of those, or you can follow along in our free app. Now, we're in this series because we all really could use some good news. Collectively, we need good news after surviving the last couple of years. Uh, Personally, we need good news to persevere to whatever's next. And what we're going to learn from Romans is that there is good news. There's some really good news, and his name is Jesus. Today, we're going to see that hard work isn't, doesn't cut it, but it doesn't have to, because the good news is better than that. God's got a, a better plan, and it hopefully is very freeing. Hopefully, you can take a, a sigh of relief. No longer do we have to perform perfectly, because Jesus already did 
for us. Now, before we jump in, why don't we do this? Let's pause, let's pray, and let's ask to hear from God as we open his word. Lord, we come before you eager to hear from you. Would you please speak through your word? Would you speak through this message? And whether we are exploring faith in you or we have been following you for decades, would you encourage us today? Would you help us to see Jesus in a new light, a fresh light? And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So Paul kind of sums up his argument from the previous couple chapters of Romans this way. We're going to jump in partway through Romans chapter 3, picking up in verses 10 through 12. He writes this, What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. No one is righteous, not even one. That means we all fall short. We're all sinners. We're all unrighteous. None of us can perform perfectly and thus be in the presence of our perfect God. Our sin keeps us from him. Our, our sinful character, as we just read, but then Paul would even go on to describe our sinful conversations, even our sinful conduct. Whatever it is, sin of any kind, it keeps us from God. It disconnects us from God. And about 3,300 years prior to now, uh, excuse me, three, yeah, three, yeah, from now, uh, God gave Moses the law. The law was uh, God's invitation to his people to have a relationship to him, but this is kind of what it's going to look like to relate with me. That's what, you know, God is essentially saying to his people, like, hey, if you behave this way, that's going to honor me, and it's going to re represent me to those around you. Now, this is how they lived for a very very long time. And what happened was the religious, they would latch on to the law as the way to actually have a relationship with God. Because religious people are all about doing things, because that's something we can control. But what they experienced was, you know, you try and try and try to do all these good things, but you drop the, you drop the ball on one of them and no one is righteous, not even one. And this is this, this scenario, this God giving the law, the religious latching onto the law, and, and people trying to obey their way into a relationship with God. This is kind of the context that Paul is writing into, and he's about to flip the script significantly. All right, in on Romans 3.20, Paul actually reveals what the purpose of the law was, and he said it this way. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. You see, obeying the law doesn't make us good enough for God because we eventually, inevitably, we, we, we can't do, we can't perform perfectly. So what does the law do? The law actually just spotlights the fact that we're sinful, that we, that we fall short, that we aren't good enough. And if someone failed to keep even one of the, the 613 rules that God gave his people, they, they're not good enough. And this is where Paul flips the script. Listen 
to this. Actually, sorry, let me say this one, one thing. Here, we have to understand something before we can get to the really good news. Okay, here's the, here's the, the ultimate result of the bad news, okay? And Paul kind of gets at this later in Romans, but I'm just going to read a, a quick portion of this passage from Romans 6. He says this, for the wages of sin is death. You see, that's what the, the ultimate result of sin is. It's death. So when God gave his people this law and they're supposed to obey it and follow it, when they couldn't, what they would do is they would give an animal up for sacrifice to cover over their sins. And what they did for like 1300 years, God's people lived this way. They would try to obey God only to disobey God and then have to sacrifice an animal to cover their sins. They would try to obey God only to disobey God and then have to and it just continued over and over and over again. And what they were learning over this time was, man, we fall short. God is holy, he is righteous, he's pure, he's perfect, and we can't do anything. No matter how hard we try, we can't get to him. And then here it is, Romans 3, 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. But now, all right, everyone say, but now with me, but now, but now the law once was the way it looked like to relate with God, but now there's a new way. You see a new way to what? Well, it's, it's the new way through which this righteousness of God, the purity, the holiness, the goodness of God has been made. No, been, been, let's try all of that again, <laughs> has been made known to us like this is good. This is really good. No longer is it about our perfect performance. Oh no, there is a new way that's been revealed through which the law and the prophets testify. The law was the beginning of the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament, to the prophets, the end of the Hebrew scriptures. From the first word to the final period of the Hebrew scriptures, Paul is saying all of it, is actually pointing to something better, something greater, someone greater. And he continues now in verse 22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We couldn't do right, so Jesus did right for us. This is the gospel. Jesus knew no sin. He actually kept all 613 of those rules perfectly. So when he died, he didn't have to pay the wage for his sin. He didn't have any. When he, Jesus died, he paid the wage for our sin, my sin, your sin. And left to our own, we all fall short. None of us are righteous, but now the gospel, the good news of Jesus is that Jesus is righteous for us. He imparts his righteousness on us. So though we fall short, he followed through and he stands in the gap for us. By God's grace, we are justified, literally made right. Like no longer does God see the wrong, he sees us as right, righteous before him. Th this passage talks about redemption. Okay, this is like a theological term that uh, means freeing a slave or freeing somebody who's been imprisoned. 
The idea that Paul's getting at here is that we have been freed from our sin, from being enslaved to our sin, freed from being imprisoned to it. No longer do we have to live that way of life. There's something better. And this is all because of Jesus. He's the one who justifies us. He's the one who redeems us. This passage, it's like, it's just dense with truth. Uh, almost so much that you probably didn't know it when you came today. We're going to like get a minor in theology by the end of this. There's just a lot in here. Righteousness, justify, redemption. I mean, these aren't, these aren't concepts that we use at Costco or when we're ordering at Starbucks. Like, but if we can understand these terms, it'll change why we live and how we live. I'll illustrate it this way. Let's step out of the classroom for a second, and instead, let's step into the courtroom, all right? Where, picture yourself, you're standing before the judge, and you know you're guilty. I, it felt so good in the moment. Okay, and if sin didn't, you're probably not doing it right, but it felt so good in the moment. But as you stand before the, the judge, your stomach is in knots. You know you're guilty. And the judge starts to recount all the things, hoarding what you had, worrying about what's next, the lustful look, envying what they had, all of it. He just recounts all of it. And you know, like after hearing this laundry list of sin, he even reminds you like the wage for this, the, the payment for this, the penalty for this is death. And just then, as you are standing there and you know the gavel's about to drop, the judge gets up and walks around puts his arm on your shoulder and says, I'll pay that for you. This is the gospel. The gospel is powerful. It's the power of God for everyone who believes. This is how we can experience salvation. This is how we get to be made righteous and be in God's presence. A right relationship with God comes not through our doing right, but through a relationship with Jesus. Uh, Romans 3, Paul put it this way, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. No one's left out. Do you have faith in Jesus? Do you believe that he is the Christ, that he is the son of God, that he died on the cross, that he rose again? Do you believe that he's coming back? Because this is the hope that we have. The gospel is the power of God for our salvation. The gospel calls us to repentance. And the gospel is our righteousness. But have you ever wondered why Jesus had to die? Like, have you ever wondered that? Who wants to, who wants to be that guy in group? You're like, uh, what's the deal with the cross? Like, you guys keep talking about the cross. What's the deal with it? Honestly, I love that person because that person's bold enough to ask the question that many of us have wondered about. We're trying to figure out, like, why did he have to die? Paul answers that question in what he says next. He explained it this way, verse 25 and 26. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. We'll explain what that means here in a second. Through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance. He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time 
so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Okay, if we put our critical thinking hats back on, the seemingly illogical act of Jesus dying on the cross, there actually is a logical case to be made. You see, when the Israelites, when they would disobey God, when they'd sin, they had to, you know, give that sacrifice. The, the priests would come once a year, they would do this sacrifice that would uh, cover over the sins of the people, all right, on the Day of Atonement. And now here, Jesus, or Paul is referencing Jesus, saying, look, he was a sac- the sacrifice of atonement once and for all. Like, no longer do we need to do that. Anyone thankful we don't have to do animal sacrifices anymore? I'm definitely thankful. I don't know if I could do this profession if I had to do that, but we don't. Because Jesus died once and for all. The perfect Lamb of God died once and for all for us. And he had to die because the wage for sin is death. It's not a spanking. It's not a timeout. The ultimate punishment for sin is death. Now, please don't take that out of context when you discipline your kids next. Okay? There is a time, there is a place for discipline. But ultimately, left unchecked, left unrepented from, our sin results in death. death. And that's what Jesus did for us. But now, but now, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Jesus sacrificially dying on the cross was a beautiful display of God's righteousness. Being righteous, God is just, meaning he can't just brush aside sin. That's not fair to the pimp or the prostitute, the Nazis or the Jews, the victim or the villain. Sin has to be dealt with, and God dealt with it in the most loving way possible. He took it upon himself so that we can walk free. A right relationship with God comes not through our doing right, not our effort, but through Jesus who did right for us. It sounds good. It sounds like something we should talk about in church, but who's this for? Who's this good news for? Let's keep reading to find out. Verses 27 through 30. Where then is boasting? Is it excluded? Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we have maintained that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. Considering his audience, what Paul did was call people on both ends of the religious spectrum out to demonstrate the gospel is everyone's righteousness. The the Jews, God's chosen nation who had the law, who had clear guidelines as to this is what it looks like to relate with God, all the way to the Gentiles who didn't have any of that and were trying to figure out God for themselves. From Jews to Gentiles, from the circumcised to the uncircumcised, all right? We're going to talk about circumcision more in a week to come, uh, next week actually, but for now just know this. Circumcision is like the sign that God gave his people to 
Basically, it was like the, the sign of this relationship he has with them, the Israelites, okay, the Jews. Who wouldn't want to be me these days? Last week, I get to talk about homosexuality. Next week, it's circumcision. Anyone else wants to take the next week? It's all you. But this is what the text says. So this is what we're going to teach. Gentiles were not Jewish. That would be most of us. Most of us probably didn't grow up Jewish. And by Paul saying, hey, from the Jews to the Gentiles, it means from them to us as well. Like we can experience this Jesus that Paul's talking about. And his point is that God loves everyone. He loves the religious and the irreligious. He loves the young and the old, the gay and the straight, the men and the women, the black and the white, the Republicans, the Democrats. God loves everyone. And he wants everyone to come to faith in Jesus because it's through faith in Jesus that we can experience life with God. And one day, whether, whether we acknowledge it now, one day, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The question is, when are we going to declare that? Are we going to declare that when it can make a difference? Or are we going to declare it at the end when we realize, oh, no. I focused on things I shouldn't have focused on. I made my life about things that don't really matter. But if you're hearing it now, there's still hope. Because when we declare that, we know that we will be saved. That's what scripture tells us, that when we declare Jesus is Lord, we will experience life with him. You know, Romans is one of those books that's so dense. You're seeing this. We're only three weeks into this book, and it's like, wow, there's a lot here, a lot here. And uh, it's good. It's really helpful. It's, it's a good understanding of Christian, Christian doctrine. But it also makes me appreciative of simpler things that Paul wrote. Like in Ephesians 2, Paul essentially says everything that we've been talking about, but he says it in just a couple verses in a much more plain and simple way. Listen to how he says it to the church in Ephesus. He says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're saved by God's grace through our faith in Jesus. This is how we get to experience righteousness. Yeah, we're all unrighteous. Yeah, we can be self-righteous. But, but no one is righteous like God is righteous. It is only through Jesus that we can be like that. And while Jesus frees us from our sin, he also saves us for a purpose. Like we get to join God in his work. The rest of our life isn't just like, we're not just in a holding pattern or, or a holding tank, just waiting until the end. No, we get to join God in his work here and now. And Paul talked about it this way in, in Romans 3.31. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. You see, he flips the script on all of this. No, it, it, the, I, the religious wanted the law to get them to God. That's not, Paul's like, that's not how it goes down. Actually, when you have a relationship with God, you're just going to want to obey him because you know he is good. You know he's the author of life and he knows life uh, and how it should be lived. You want to honor him with the way you live. But it starts with a relationship with God. And from that relationship, it changes 
how you live and how you honor him. This is why we, we often say, whoever follows Jesus finds life. Because it's in the following of Jesus, it's in the, the going of God's way, that we start to experience life as God designed it. Yeah, we're still in a, in a broken world that's, that's plagued by sin, stuff goes wrong, but we know, we have a hope that one day it won't be that way. Today, I'm gonna sum up Paul's point in Romans 3 this way. A right relationship with God comes not through our doing right, but a relationship with Jesus which spurs us to do right. It's an overflow. It's our, our faith in Jesus. This is our response to the gospel. And our faith in Jesus is expressed as faithfulness to him. The way we live should be like he lived. And this can be expressed in a couple of ways. The first is this, believe and get baptized. Back in verse 22, Paul taught, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Hearing the gospel is one thing, but believing the gospel is where life change happens. Because no longer is it someone else's idea. It's like, no, 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 this is, this is something I believe. This is something I'm gonna orient my life around. And it, it changes us so much so that we actually turn from living the way we've lived. And instead we choose to receive his mercy, his forgiveness. And then we, we follow him. That process is called repentance. It's the idea of turning 180 degrees and following Jesus. I was uh, talking with a friend recently about coming to Jesus. And we both kind of grew up in the church and we had heard many messages, many retreats, etc., on accepting Jesus and following him. And we both were sharing, like as, at a young age, we remember praying that this, what's known as the sinner's prayer, where you pray and you ask Jesus to forgive you for your sin and, and declare that you want to follow him. We remember praying that with like our parents or at a retreat or whatever. And then we, we were just in transparency. We were like, but at times we were like, was it real? Because I didn't feel anything in that moment. Like, did it work? And we were, we we're sharing how when it, faith is like in spirit, it's like it's just this spiritual concept. It can feel abstract, like hard to grasp at times, especially like when I was a kid. And it left you wondering, like, do I need to go forward again? Do I need to raise my hand again? Do I need to pray the prayer again? And that's why what I'm super thankful for now is that Jesus not only calls us to believe in him, but he gives us a physical expression of that belief in baptism. You see, baptism doesn't save us. Jesus saves us, but he gives us baptism as a gift because it's a symbol. When, when we go under the water, it's like we're dying to our life of sin. And then when we come back up, we've been washed by him, symbolizes that. And then we have this new life. We're cleansed of our unrighteousness and now we're clothed with his. It's this beautiful image. And if, uh, like if, I've, I've, I've illustrated it this way before. Like if you are getting married, okay? When you say I do, you're married. When you put the, the ring on the finger, you're telling everyone else around you that you see the grocery store or the gym or wherever it is, like that you're, also, that you're married, like you're with your spouse. Baptism is that for us, okay? It's, it's like putting a ring on it where, where we're telling the world, hey, I'm with Jesus. 
And, and I think back to when I was baptized. I was actually with a church plant. They were meeting in a hotel. We did a Super Bowl party. And instead of watching the Super Bowl halftime show in the hotel pool, we did baptisms. And I got baptized that night. All right. And I very publicly declared my faith to my family, my friends, my church, and anyone in the hotel hot tub. Okay. It was, that was just the reality of it. And from that moment, I've never looked back and thought, was that real? Like, do I really believe in Jesus? Because I very publicly told everyone in the room, hey, I'm with him. And if I ever were to forget, I could ask any one of them. Because it's a, it's a celebratory thing for a community. If you've been thinking about getting baptized and you just kind of needed an excuse to do it, I would say on May 22nd, you should get baptized. We're going to do a baptism Sunday. The whole, the whole passage, message, is going to be about baptism. But more than just hearing about baptism, you're going to have an opportunity to get baptized that day. And uh, if you have questions about baptism or you're curious, you want to know more, or you just know, hey, sign me up, I'm ready to go. We would we'd love to talk to you about that. Answer the questions you have, look to scripture together, hear your story, the whole, all of it, just to encourage you. Because for Jesus, baptism's a significant step in our following of him. He might even say it's the starting line. So if you haven't been baptized and you believe in Jesus, get baptized and don't delay. You can uh, find out more about Baptism Sunday and sign up through the app, or you can just check, I want to be baptized on your Connect card. All right, when you decide to follow Jesus, then what? Because a lot of us, we've done it. We, we've believed, we've been baptized. What does that mean for us now? Well, follow and make followers. Paul said, don't neglect the law. We should uphold it, okay? Because the law, through the prophets, it all testifies to Jesus from, from the first word of scripture through the final period. All of scripture helps us understand who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow him. So I would say regularly read the Bible and then apply what you're learning because this shouldn't just be some intellectual ascent. Following has action connected to it, all right? So apply what you're learning. Here's, here's what this looks like for me. Maybe if you've been with us for any length of time, you've heard us talk about chair time. It's this simple practice, reading your Bible and praying on a regular basis, all right? Here's what my chair time looks like these days. I set my alarm the night before because I'm trying to beat our girls in getting up. Like I, I wanna get up before them, okay? And I, if I do, then I'm able to come downstairs and I, I just plop down in the same seat on the couch. Not because I'm super spiritual, just because I'm a creature of habit, all right? So I sit in the same seat, I grab my iPad and I open a notes app and my Bible and I'll just pick up where I left off. I'll read until a verse or a passage stands out to me, like it seems to speak to me in a little different way than, than other verses I've read speaks to me. And once I've kind of landed on a verse, I'm like, okay, I feel like I need to take some time to think about that. I'll use a simple acronym called SOAPS to reflect on the passage. S stands for scripture. I'll literally write the scripture out verbatim, just word for word. And then O stands for observation. What I'll do is I'll try to restate that passage or verse in my own words. Like, what's the truth that this verse is communicating? S-O-A is application, okay? I ask God, like, what do I need to do in light of this passage? And I write it down. I will blank. Then I pray about it. P, 
I just talk to God about what I read. I talk to God about what's going on in my life and where I need him to show up, what I'm facing, questions I have, whatever it is. I just talk to God. And then the final S, S-O-A-P-S, the last S stands for share. And what I'll do when I remember, because this is where I'm weak, I'm not great at this and I need to get better at it, but I'll ask God, who do I need to share this with? Because what I've learned and what I continue to learn is that while Jesus is for me, he's not for only me. Like I should share the hope that I have. I should share the truth that I learned from his word. And uh, that's just how I go about my chair time. If, if you could use a little tool, a guide to guide your chair time, maybe to get started or to mix it up, freshen it up, try using that acronym SOAPS. It's not the only way to read scripture. It's just one of the ways I read scripture. And it, I find it helps me to stay on track. My mind doesn't wander as much. And it starts to make a difference in my life because I'm applying what I'm learning. If you, in fact, if you want a reminder, uh, Romans is a lot. Like it's a lot of text. We're covering a lot of it in the messages, but we can't cover every single word. So you can read it ahead of time. And we've started to send out a push notification through the app to read the passage on Saturday in preparation to hear the message on Sunday. If that's helpful for you, you can uh, do it. You can sign up for a chair time push notification in the app, okay? Click your profile, you'll figure it out from there. But that's just a helpful reminder. You don't have to do it. It's just a tool available to you. Now, as you read the Bible, what you're going to discover is that Jesus, yes, he's for you and he's for those around you. So you're going to want to share him with others, like invite a coworker to maybe read the Bible with you at lunch and talk about it. Or maybe it's inviting a neighbor to join us at a service. Or when a family member is sick, instead of sending them the, the prayer emoji hands, what if you actually like got on the phone and you prayed for them before the surgery? Like our faith should impact the relationships in our life in a very real way. As a church, we exist to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. That's why we're even here. That's why we gather. It's why we do what we do. So what are you going to do this week to advance that mission? Because it's not just our mission. That's Jesus' mission. Jesus invited people to follow him and then go make more followers of him. I think of a conversation I had with John and Trista last night. We got to have dinner with them and a little over a year ago, they got baptized as an expression of their faith in Jesus. And what's been so cool to see over the last year, and especially uh, this year, is the excitement to share Jesus with others. You've, if you've been with us for any length of time, you've, you know, when it's Christmas or Easter or whenever, like we'll give like little invite cards out. Like, hey, if this is helpful when you're inviting a friend, you know, grab a few. John's like grabs a ton and he wants to pass them out left and right. Anyone he sees that week, that's what he says. He's like, he's eager to share the hope that he has. I wanna be more like John in that way. Because the gospel is our righteousness. And when we embrace this truth, it's gonna transform our region. It'll absolutely transform South Denver. Because every time you bless your neighbor, the gospel is shown, Jesus' love is shown. Every time a new community group gathers in a community and they, they launch for the first time, there's a gospel-centered community that's now extended to more people. Every time a group or you personally meet a need of a family in need in our community, the gospel is expressed. And every time you share your story over coffee, over the phone, every time you share your story, 
the gospel is shared. And when you shine your light, and when you shine your light, and when you shine your light, and you shine your light, and I shine my light, together, the church of Jesus Christ is going to shine like a city on a hill here in Lone Tree. And you better believe that is going to be felt throughout South Denver, throughout the Front Range, and prayerfully across the world. But now, but now it starts in a relationship with Jesus. Just you and him. He stood in the gap so that we can stand before God. We can have a relationship with him. And this relationship is possible not because we're great at doing right, but because Jesus did right for us. And now through him, we can experience life with God. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for that truth. Thank you that while we fall short, you, you followed through. You, you're perfect. And when you died, you took the payment for our sin upon yourself. And now we have hope in you. We have life in you. We are so thankful for that. And we celebrate that now. Would you help us to know you more? Would you help us to share you in ways that are just so genuine, so personal, so passionate? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.